Gridlions is a proud sponsor of Public Power Underground, a subsidiary of Nextair Energy and the leading transmission company in North America. Gridlions is a transmission-only utility company that's more than just wires. With operations in three regional transmission organizations, Gridlions works with electric cooperatives and municipal utilities to create collaborative solutions that integrate renewable energy and improve the reliability and resiliency of the electric grid. Learn more at gridlions.com. That's G-R-I-D-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. We started in hard times to bring us all in Into the laughter through thick and through thin For public power enthusiasts without and within Roll on enthusiasts, roll on Welcome to a special Energy Experts React recording of Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is an infotainment program that covers electric utility and electric utility adjacent topics from a power department's perspective. We talk about the energy enthusiast trifecta of markets, people, and electrification. And today we're focused on intra-regional transmission, a critical component to electrification. I'm the host, Paul Dockery. I'm recording with three energy experts. First, the protagonist of this episode, Pamela Sporberg. Uh, you were the protagonist, I appreciate it. Um, you are the Director of Transmission and Market Services for Portland General Electric. May I call you Pam? Of course. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for getting this together. My pleasure. I just really want to hear Adam and Christina's perspectives on all of these transmission happenings in the world right now. And we got, I, I got guidance from you that we aren't allowed to talk about like national topics and national politics or anything. We're intra-regional. We're within the region. What's going on in transmission, right? Well, there's too much to cover in one too hour. Much to, too you much to bring cover. in DOE and we would just be here all week. Yeah, fair. That's fair. Fair. Joining Pam and I is Adam Richens. Adam is the Chief Operating Officer of Idaho Power. Welcome to Public Power Underground. I'm excited to be here. First time. First here. time everything. First time, first time everything. everything. Listening and being a part of all this. Yeah, so I'm excited. Yeah, so first vibe check of first Public, vibe power check. To, yep. Public Power Underground. If Pam's the protagonist, what am I? I'm just curious. I, I don't know, but we're going to figure that out. We're going to figure that out. We're going to figure that out. And I'll try to you're define the that for you. Maybe you're the just the narrator. The what, what do you call the character in the show that like background noise guy no like, the one that like tells the story along the way like the narrator the narrator the, i'll shoot for that yeah okay there's a okay joining adam pam and i is the executive director of americans for a clean energy grid christina hayes welcome christina thank you thanks for having me yeah i'm glad to make the connection i i think i've learned because in my prep for this I listened to Rob Gramlich's recent episodes on the Energy Policy Podcast or something like that. And he contributed to this paper and he works with y'all. Yes. So there's absolutely. a connection. And it's I'm glad to bring it back to the Northwest. With with Marion Berries. With Marion Berries, yes. So tell us all you uh, we have our, our own special drink for this occasion. We are in Patty's pub and grill in Portland because uh, we needed a place to record. And what do we have here? What we have Marionberry syrup with a little lemon and for now, 7-Up. Um, and then afterwards, maybe something else. But Marionberries, okay. it's Marionberry season. It is Marionberry season. There is a place uh, on Highway 30 outside of Klatskanai that has Marionberry pie and sell Marionberry stuff. They do great. 
great business because all what you're not telling everybody though is you're double fisting. You've I am got double fisting, and so are you. Well, so, so am I. But yeah, you know, that's fairly normal. But yeah, I guess that we'll connect that way. Yes, we will. <laughs> yeah, you got the Guinness because it is an Irish pub. Yeah, why not? I went with the Smittics. Yeah, with the Irish red, it felt yeah. felt a little Both bit dark though, a little lighter. Yeah, not as filling. Yeah, not as filling. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about like transmission. We're gonna follow Rob Gramlich's formula for discussing transmission policy, the three Ps, permitting, planning, and paying for. But first, we need to lay some conceptual groundwork. And to do it in as infotaining a way as possible, we're bringing back a game I call an energy enthusiasm distilled. All right. We've done this a couple times. Y'all haven't listened to the podcast, so I'm gonna lay out the ground rules here. Um, And we have gotten better at it, I think, in laying the ground rules. One of the tricks was making some of it shorter. So some people had two minutes and 20 seconds, but we're going to do this in a minute and 35 seconds. So here's what we do. making it up. But yeah, we're, yeah okay. we're, making, we're making up the rules as we go. It's not a real game. None of this is, <laughs> this is all for fun. Yeah. It's not a real game. Okay. Uh, so each of you are experts in niche transmission topics that are important for our conversation, but not the focal point of the conversations today. So to lay the groundwork, in an as efficient way as possible, we're going to have you distill the complicated topic in succinct, entertaining ways um, that are one minute that that are no more than one minute and thirty five seconds. Then, after you explain them in infotaining ways, the other people that are also drinking at Patty's Pub, meaning the other two of you, will then synthesize it in the optimal tip TikTok length video of thirty four seconds. So first person gets a minute 35, everybody else gets 34 on the same topic, and then we'll cover the other two topics. And then at the end, everybody wins or no one wins. Uh, doesn't really matter because it's all made up anyway. Yeah. As Christina pointed out, it's all made up anyway. <laughs> My bet is Christina's gonna win. Maybe you all win. She's really competitive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not really my vibe. I, I'm more easygoing than that. Okay. So the first topic, which is important context, for the rest of the conversation, but won't be the focal point, is the role of public power and non-jurisdictional utilities under FERC Order 1000. Christina, you're the expert on this topic. So in one minute and 35 seconds, I want you to distill this complicated topic down in an infotaining way. I'm gonna And she start. has to be entertaining when yes. she talks about oh that. Oh my is gosh, that, I mean, interpretive dance? Yeah. I mean, like, how do you do this? Examples, I'm not sure analogies, this is possible, so we're gonna see. Quotes. <laughs> There's so if many ways to do If anyone can do it, you can, Christina. Oh, thanks for the confidence. Okay. At least ready? I'm the first to fail. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> Great perspective. One minute and 35 seconds. Go ahead. Okay. So non-jurisdictional utilities in federal energy speak, NJs, um, they're around the country. So, you know, TVA, um, Santee Cooper, uh, WAPA, a lot, there are a lot of them around the country. In the Northwest, it's a bit different because in other parts of the country, you have this symbiotic relationship where you have traditional utilities regulated by the federal regulatory commission. And then you have these non-jurisdictionals, but in order to get along, they all agree to play by the same rules and these safe harbor reciprocal tariffs. In the Pacific Northwest, non-jurisdictionals are so much of the system that they don't have to have that same symbiotic relationship with the reciprocal tariffs. And so you have different sets of rules that apply for transmission planning, uh, paying, um, and, and generally orchestrating the system as a whole. 
How do I do? You How still much have time 38 left? seconds. Oh my gosh. I can you, do you have an example? Shorter is better. An allergy? I was counting in? on you to explain order 1000. So. Oh my gosh. Can order, you order 1000 in 30 seconds? In 30 seconds. Order 1000 was the idea that all jurisdictional utilities in the United States would be responsible for joining with their neighbors, at least one other neighbor, to plan transmission on a region-wide basis. And if you planned regionally, it should in theory, provide a more economic, reliable way of providing geographic diversity among generation source resources and a better way to plan the system holistically. Oh, that was great. How about that? That was I'm alarming. A, that was a, <laughs> well done. I am going to rely on y'all to synthesize that for me. I'm going to start with you, Adam. Oh, so you have to synthesize. So I'm a little behind. I may have to go second. You have to sum up what... <laughs> Yeah, you have to explain this like quicker and in an infotaining way. She gave a one minute and 35 seconds. Okay. So now you have to do it in 34 seconds. jazz hands? I mean, like, what are you doing? Yeah, we need some analogies. (laughs) We need some examples. We need some... I mean, we have beer that's sitting here. Are there VARs associated with Order 1000? Seriously. (laughs) Okay, I'll give it a shot. Okay, already? Uh, I, uh, I... You know, in the Pacific Northwest, it sounds like the rules are just very different as it relates to these non-jurisdictional entities. There happens to be one that's very large, Happens. that has a lot of transmission, and that uh, pulls a lot of weight. But maybe I think what you're saying is in other areas, there's more of a reason to has, have the reciprocity than there is maybe in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Is that reciprocity a force reciprocity in the rest of the United States? Or is it just because they were so intermingled they did it anyway? Or is it just the RTO? It's not always the RTO. Okay. Oh, it starts it counting a up. What a, what a, that's awesome. It starts <laughs> counting up. Also very Is loud. it forced in the rest of the United States? I assume it's not. It's still chosen by them to have that. Be- because that way you get, you get um, a consistent treatment. Absolutely, exactly. yeah. And the forced reciprocity is not associated with them being part of the same RTO. Correct. Oh. Right. So transmission owners, transmission owners, open access transmission tariffs, don't necessarily tie to being in an RTO. Right. It, right? It's right. it's everybody, right. as long as you're jurisdictional. So, but like in the Southeast, where you have investor-owns and non-jurisdictionals, they right. have these reciprocal tariffs there. Yes. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. Do, but we, we, ask, we aren't supposed to ask questions as part of this game. We did anyway, because there are no rules. Not. There yes. are no rules. It's a very complicated subject. I feel it like is. we're it all is. learning. So, Pam has the... Uh, the unfortunate task of going last. So now you got to do it in the most infotaining way possible. Are you ready? I'll go for it. Okay. So I think what Christina was saying is we were not getting along out here in the West, but I would say that we just get along differently. (laughs) (laughs) We have a one large non-jurisdictional that ties us all together. And because they are not, they do not have reciprocity. We all end up sitting in the rates hearing room on an, very frequent basis to really try to work it out. And so we've evolved differently. We we get along better because, you know, after you spend a whole day in the rates hearing room, you really got to go drink. Yep. And if you're in the rates hearing room, you go drink together. So <laughs> I, I tell you what, wow. I spent all day today in the rates hearing room. And that is like, I feel that in my bones. <laughs> well, we're I here drinking we together, drinking. getting can along. I, can I actually get, I, can I tell you something? I've never been in the race. I've been in it, but I've never been in it for a BPA because we don't interact with BPA a ton. So I have never experienced the full. You're not room. part of the club. I'm not part of the club. 
it feels like I'm missing something, but somehow I think I'm not. You can still join the club. There are plenty of meetings where you can just get the badge. Okay, just, just go. come get the badge. Just go. Just okay. experience it. I'll have to think about that. You don't yeah. have to be part of every club, though. I mean, it's a little bit like going to an AA meeting for the donuts. I mean, or the coffee. Like, you just, you don't have to go to all the clubs, right? Yeah. That's fair. I mean, you fair. also There's... have the opportunity to send your minions. And your minions yes. spend lots of time in the rate steering room. I'm not sure Kathy would appreciate me calling her a minion, but... <laughs> So she's in the, she's in that room a lot. See, I didn't even know that she spent wow, that much time there. Wow, we're gonna have to cut that. Yeah, we're gonna have to. Cut, you need to like get them. I don't know. You have to get them a badge. Get them a badge. I, I feel no, like I need know. a badge too. This whole experience has been enlightening, and we're only in the first ten minutes the of this podcast. First segment. The first segment. First segment. Okay. The, before we move on, though, I do want to just highlight. It sounds like if we had these reciprocal tariffs, we would spend less time in the rates hearing room arguing about. Uh, like terms and conditions for tariff. Because the rules would already tariff. be set. Same set of rules for everybody. Well, you know, I think one of the wonderful, unique things about us here in the West is that we spend a lot of time together. I mean, the we energy do. community in the West is a community. And yeah. I like the heart and soul of that community, for better or for worse, is the rates hearing room. <laughs> and Portland is kind of like the mecca of this community, too. You yeah. need a better place to hang out. I mean, like the rates hearing room... Can't be the place to hang out. No, the place well, the, to hang out is the bar. Right. right. In the Can you just like center, short, which is also not a great place to hang what's out. The, you need to short name? circuit the whole thing. I mean, where where is this place the Lloyd says? So you you go to this bar and is it, it is it at all fun? Like Oh, there's you, a whole skating rink. I mean, like, couldn't you just like short circuit the hearing room and go to the skating rink and then go to the bar? Spend a lot of time, a lot of first dates on that skating rink. Come on. Holding hands. Yeah. I feel I, yeah. like, you know, there's a culture of safety within utilities that I'd be like ice skating while is doing it on the list? and tariff <laughs> proceedings is probably not. That's probably what we true. end up doing as a utility. But yeah, the utility it is, is a culture. It is a community. That community is formed out of this uh what, what we call it, the ritual of the rates hearing room. There's a whole Ezra Klein podcast about the importance of ritual to human progress and human experience. If you don't listen to Ezra Klein, that means nothing to you. But there is like this ritual as being an important part of yeah. advancing human civilization. And for energy community, maybe it's uh, rates hearing room. Okay, we got to move on. This is taking way longer than I was expecting. Yeah, we're going to okay. cut half. I assume you're going to cut half that, but yeah, or we, I'm hoping maybe, no. maybe that's maybe. worth hoping. Yeah, maybe. Not, a word. Maybe not, not a word. No, it depends on how much we want to add. Okay, the second topic, which is important contextual background for the rest of the conversation, but is not the focal point, is, are the idiosyncrasies of transmission development in the West. Adam, you are a chief operating officer of a company doing transmission in the West, so you're our expert. Can you synthesize this niche topic in one minute and 35 seconds? Can I'll do, do my it? best. Okay, you want me to- I'm gonna I'm start up? with uh, my favorite quote in the transmission world. It's not the Mike Tyson quote, we'll get to that in a second, <laughs> but it's, uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And in my mind, everybody wants clean energy, at least most folks do, uh, but nobody's building the transmission and particularly people are nervous about permitting as it relates to transmission. So why are they nervous? I mean, everybody's heard the stories about B2H. We're gonna hear more. 17, 18 years, we're gonna get into those. But if you're a utility, even if you're just a developer of transmission, the biggest thing you're staring down right now is okay, we can invest a lot of money in the West in transmission. Let's say a hundred million dollars. We can do that for 10, 12 years. And at the end of the day, you may or may not get a permit. And at the end of the day, as we'll talk about with B2H, the decider of whether you get that permit often isn't 
someone who's necessarily greatly educated in that area. It's potentially courts. It's, you know, Supreme Court of Oregon. It's federal district courts. So it can be a real problem when you're trying to decide whether to embark on these things or not. In the West, it's particularly hard because of all the federal land. So like B2H, 30% of B2H is federal land, which means NEPA is a big part of the process. BLM leads NEPA. But guess how many other agencies we had to deal with? We had to deal with BLM, U.S. Forest Service, the Navy, the Corps of Engineers. They all have all their different opinions, which they should, all their different rules. Yes, we had one agency, BLM, that ran the process, but we had all these other agencies that they had to coordinate with makes it very complicated. And that's just on the federal side. That's we'll get to the, the state side, side later, which is equally complicated. There are probably some horror stories associated with that. I think we might get there. Some to foreshadow with yep. that a little bit. Okay. So that was uh, idiosyncrasies in the West. Only touched on the West a little bit at the end. Yep. Pam, you're next. In 35 seconds or less, can you touch on, can you talk about what it's like why it's more difficult in the West to build transmission. So what I heard from Adam was a lot of acronyms. <laughs> there were so many acronyms, I couldn't, I lost count. And that each one of those acronyms has to work together. And then they have to know what each other acronym means so that they can correctly bring their problems and complaints to the table and slow Adam down so that, you know, the sage grouse get to have their frolicking out in the, out in the woods. <laughs> Or the planes. Or wherever. Or wherever. <laughs> but not under transmission towers. Yep. Do we have more sage grouse in the West than in the rest of the, It's just a Western thing. I don't know, I don't know if know. we have more or less, but I know that all of these projects are impacted, at least in Idaho, by sage grouse. Both Gateway West and B2H were. Among other different species, in every species you have different tests, and those tests take a long time. You have to make sure the conditions are right. They're called surveys. You go through that. This is just the beginning of the 17, beginning. 18 years. Just the beginning of just why the beginning. It was 17 or 18 yeah. years. Christina, we're going to give you in 34 seconds or less, you're going to have to make this very enter entertaining. Uh, I don't know if we've gotten to really entertainment factors yet, but I do want to ask a clarifying question. Yeah. Do we have more acronyms in the West than oh, in the no. East? Everybody yeah, right. Everybody. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's tough then when you have one acronym that means something in one part of the country oh, and a different ac and that same acronym means something different in another part of the country oh, yeah. or the same thing has a different name like CRRs in California or FTRs mm -hmm. somewhere. Right. Like they all the have different. Thing. Yeah. Yep. They'll have different names. They're the same so, well, uh, so are we supposed to talk about what we view as the idiosyncrasies or yeah, kind yeah, of no, how you don't to be entertaining about You just have to be entertaining. Just what's entertaining just about me. <laughs> just be entertaining. You got the ready? Are you ready? Uh, okay, good. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, so the mental image I have when I hear Adam talk about idiosyncrasies in the West, it's got to be a Dr. Seuss animal of some kind, right? So we think we're building a racehorse, right? We've got the fastest, most effective, most efficient way to deliver power throughout the West. No, no. But then all the different committees get involved. I mean, isn't that the story about um, how you build a camel is by, it's a horse built by committee? Isn't that? I don't know. Something that's, like that. I, that's somebody this, use that from this now This is on. beyond a camel. This is like, this is a full on Dr. Seuss kind of animal. It's got a, it's got a trunk. It's got a tail. It's got, all you know, flippers. It's got all the things because you got all the agencies. It's getting kind of crazy I just started there. to think about like Medusa with all the, right? this, maybe that's another. Kind yeah, of yeah. Another kind of, feature so of the Dr. You're Seuss. You're getting the game now, Christina. I, okay. That's how you win the that's, game. You don't Dr. know what Seuss. they put into my 
<laughs> Dr. Seuss is how you win the game. Okay. 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 We got, know. this is the last one. Um, uh, next up is the FERC's pending transmission <laughs> noper. Yeah, okay. Right. Taking notes, you need a pen. So there is, you're the resident expert because you're the person I wanted to ask about this because you're the market and transmission service director at Portland General Electric. So there's this notice of proposed rulemaking. It's supposed to come out briefly. Can you synthesize what all that means in a minute and 35? Well, first, we don't know when it's going to come out. We have politics in between us and a final rule. So, essentially, transmission planning has been evolving really since Order 888 was released in 1998. And the first iteration of that evolution was Order 890 in 2007. And it just kind of looked up my history. (laughs) And... So, and then Order 1000 around 2013 really expanded and and created this obligation for utilities to plan together to create projects that looked at combining many different values around economics, reliability, and working to identify the best projects. What might be best for me might not be the best project for Adam, but if we can look at our costs together, maybe we could save our customers a lot of money by pooling our resources and planning together. So this new notice of proposed rulemaking is looking to take that further. So out of Order 1000, we have planning regions. We have 30 seconds left. We have many planning regions, including Northern Grid here. Um, And we ended up with something like MISO's multi-value projects that looked at combining public policy goals with economic and reliability objectives. And this new NOPER is looking at expanding that further. Is there a way to take that and look at resource development zones, the obligations, the generation planning? Is there a way to overlay that into transmission planning so that we really get the best bang for our buck for customers? We have really high costs of transmission that on a sticker basis but on a volumetric basis, those costs can be very small. Yeah. And if we take these you know, big stickers and make the right investments, we can minimize the volumetric impact on our energy supply for our customers. And that way, Adam and I can look together about what do we need? What, does, what do Idaho's customers need? What do PGE's customers, Bonneville's, uh, Puget Sound? And we can look at, at see where the optimal projects are that can meet all of our collective needs without having to raise that initial sticker price into the multiple billions of dollars. Okay, that was well summarized. It, th- it does sound to me like it will be expansive and complicated. Well, it has to get across the finish line first. That's true, okay, well synthesized. Okay, Christina, you're next, 34 seconds. What is the note we're going to do? You. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm not second. Dr. Seuss. I, no, not analogies, Dr. Seuss, basketball. but I'm going to go with, um, well, like you know, sports. the next step on the moon, right? So these different rulemakings that Pam was talking about were meant to be iterative, one step after the next. We have had like one foot in the air trying to take the next step on the moon forever we're not sure if there's like quicksand there we're not sure if you know it's going to be solid ground not sure it's going to be um we're hopeful that it's going to be solid ground and it's going to be a um a really helpful step forward um but it remains to be seen FERC right now has four commissioners and not clear it has the votes to issue that final rule soon i mean perfect how do you go after that well done on timing I didn't hear a Dr. Seuss in there, so I mean. Oh come on! I got a moonwalk analogy. You got a moonwalk That's analogy. Got, I mean, it's not Michael Jackson moonwalk, but at least it's like 
we're we weren't going backwards. Right? That's okay. good. It's the inverse. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, Adam. Okay. Really high bar. I'm gonna. I mean, sh- you've seen the high bar that we're laying here. Are you you triggered something for me. Okay. So oh, you're go triggered. Where I'm going for it. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Okay, you got he, he brought it. up sports. I like to uh, and and now guys, everything to sports. So yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is very much like basketball. And you see those videos from like the 1930s where they have like hoops that are made of baskets and they're doing little layups. That's how Ferg started. And then as time went on, they started doing jumpers from outside. Maybe even get you know folks doing you know different kind of jams now we have seth curry uh from deep steph curry i should say from deep doing turnaround threes and that's what we hope this noper is going to be is excellence in that regard it's almost like you listened to my last podcast It is. Did, did you go on sports? Did. Great, yeah. Oh, well, this whole thing. It was that's a summary. You summarized the markets podcast right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you I mean it's fantastic. It, he summarized it okay. You brought the A game for that. That was outstanding. You really would enjoy that podcast. We did she really brought I'll the have A to, game. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. So we started with a game, lay some groundwork. We've laid the groundwork okay. with the game. Now it's just we're going to make it up as we go along. Okay. Um, the rest of this is just meant to be a meandering conversation about the three P's of transmission policy, permitting, planning, and paying for. And we're going to start with horror stories for Boardman to Hemingway. The transmission, I must say, I'm going to try to explain it here. I feel like there should be like a noise, like dun, dun, dun. Yeah, maybe we can put that in post. Or the light. Note. Note. Uh, yes. Post-production. Oh, yes. <laughs> Notes to post-production. Yep. Add some noise in the background. Okay. Uh, so, Bourbon to Hemingway, for those unfamiliar, it's often referred to as B2H, is a 500 kV transmission line that runs for approximately 290 miles across eastern Oregon and southwest Idaho. It'll connect the proposed Longhorn sub- substation four miles east of Boardman. Oregon to Idaho Power's existing Hemingway substation in a county whose name I won't try to pronounce, but you will for us, right? <laughs> okay. Adam? Yeah. Well, we yep. Okay. Um, and I will link in the show notes. Perfect. Are you ready? You ready for, to give us some horror stories? So I'm going to give you some horror stories. I, the b- biggest question we get is how in the world did this take 17, 18 years? I mean, we're basically moving into 18. So I actually went through it year by year. Hopefully this won't be too long. And as I mentioned some of these years, if you guys have questions about what it means within that year, I'll let you know. So do you want me to dive in? I do, I do, but I think we need to clarify, it's been 17 or 18 years. Not everybody's from the West. Have you moved dirt yet? We have not moved dirt yet. Okay, 17 to 18 years, you haven't started construction yet. Correct. Okay. We're looking to- think you will. We're we're hoping this summer, it'll probably be more in October, September-ish, but yes, we plan to move dirt this year. So we're pretty excited about that. Yes. But as I talk through this, you will see why, as excited as I am now, there were moments of just being really scared because one of the things about transmission permitting and the permitting side of it, it does cost money and it's not a little bit of money. And so certain entities, PGE and others have had situations where they've got through this permitting path and they've had to write off big chunks of money because they didn't feel like they could get it done. So when you're sitting in a seat like I am or other utilities or developers in general, the question is, are we gonna get this done? Do you even wanna start? Because it's a long, long journey. Okay, so what was the journey? Yep. Okay. And we, 2000, frame, this, we frame this as horror stories. It's a so horror this story. is a high, and a and, high, bar, high and, bar. And when you think about 17, 18 years, that's long enough for, Pam pointed this out, someone to vote maybe even. 
So in addition to B2H being the project we're going to talk about, we might as well talk about it the same year, someone being born. Being born. We're going to go And what happens in their life during this period. A child. So do you guys have a good name for the child that is being born in 2005? We don't want to call him Ernest. Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to call him Ernest. Of course. Ernie? Ernie? Ernie Hemingway? Ernie? Ernie. Ernie. Okay, let's it's go with Ernie. It's not really a 2005 name. Yeah. It's not but really I, But I like, we'll go with it. Who's who's to say what name? It's our name. It's our name. <laughs> We're going with Ernie, right? Someone right, really sure. likes Sesame Street. Yes. Okay, so Ernie and B2H were born in 2005. It's quite a ways ago. We developed the plan and the idea then. So that's 2005. 2006, we identified B2H for the first time in our IRP. Oh. So if you wonder how much we've talked about B2H over the last many, many years, it started in 2006. 2007, kind of 2006, 2007, we start pitching partners, Pacific Core, BPA, others. I actually wasn't even around at that time, so I'm sure we talked to a variety of different folks. Hey, we have this great land, this great line. It'll allow us to bring energy back and forth between the Northwest and Idaho. It's a great gateway in that regard. Okay, so that's 2007. 2008, we initiated NEPA uh, under federal law. So that's a big step. But then there's also something in Oregon called the Energy Facility Siting Council, yep. FSEC. Yep. We initiated that too. Okay, so things seem to be going good. 2008, we're initiating these processes. Preschool is starting to get out in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. He's like, like growing up, you know, he's he maybe knows his go ABCs. To, he knows his ABCs. <laughs> his things look bright. FESCs. Yes. There we go. EPAs. Yes. A lot of acronyms. Okay, so turns out maybe people weren't too excited about this line right off the bat. So in 2009, we received quite a bit of pushback. And we pause the NEPA and FSEC process to really work with the community to say, hey, what NEPA is all about is you develop a possible different routes. And in this case, I think we did how many routes? 49 possible routes going from the Borman area down to kind of the Boise, Idaho area. Let's just Ernie say. Ernie learned to count real quick. What's that? <laughs> Ernie learned to count real yes, quick. Yes, 49. A lot of routes. And that's how NEPA works. You develop all these routes. I'm going to tell you right now one of the biggest problems, the state process it's not about a bunch of different routes. The state process says you pick one route and you apply all these standards to that route to see if we'll build this thing. Okay. Well, you can't pick the route in the state process until you've gone through the NEPA process and found a particular route. So we noticed early on, this might be a problem because we, we have 49 routes, we don't have one. And FSEC requires one. Okay, so 2010, we resubmitted the, the routes and the NEPA process, FSEC process. 2011, good news for us. Obama's administration says, you guys, your project is one of the top seven in the nation. We're going to make sure this thing happens. That was, uh, that was 2011. <laughs> so, you know, we're in 2023. Uh, uh, so Making it happen. You felt so good in that moment. I mean, there was a moment where we're like, this is going to happen. Um, it turns out... There was some stumbling done by Ernie. Maybe he was walking and falling. I don't, something was happening, but it wasn't, wasn't great for us. So from 2011 to 2017, I'm going to skip through this pretty quick. Lots of studies. Okay. Lots of NEPA process with the Navy, U.S. Forest Service, BLM, Corps of Engineers. And during this time, we again, we couldn't really do the state process much. Totally different studies, but we didn't know what our route was yet. Okay, so then you go to 2017, we received the BLM, BLM ROD, record decision. 
So that's big news. We're all happy. Yeah. Ernie's going to high school. Ernie's going to high school. <laughs> Middle schoolish, though, right? What's what yeah, age? Yeah, you feel well, like it's 17. graduation. You feel like graduation should be a big deal, but then you realize it just means more school. High school hasn't even begun yet. Right. And then if you're back to B2H, it means when you get that permit, what does it mean? Everybody's going to know. What happens when you get your permit? You get sued. <laughs> so we got sued. Uh, first, it's administrative. Then it goes to, to federal court again, all the time wondering, well, what are we going to do on the state process? We, we don't know exactly what's going on. So is getting sued like puberty? I mean, that's what it is. Like, <laughs> it's not like good. All of, it's, it's, it's not, not good. good. It's it, just not good. We talked about the scary moments. A lot of emotions. You guys can talk about the scary moments. The kids for B2H, it was sitting there thinking, we've been in this for 10 years. What if the federal court who ultimately decided this again, not energy experts, Great folks, but not energy experts. What if they hate our project? So yeah, that kids are going to high school. What if, what if all nobody the other likes kids Ernie? My kid. It is very possible. <laughs> they are rational. What if they get picked on? Oh, this is a real. These are real emotions. These right are here. real deal. Real. I mean, emotions. his name is Ernie, after all. Yeah, his name's Ernie. <laughs> He's gonna get picked on. He is gonna get picked on. Earn. We'll call him Earn. If you guys Ern. have seen Atlanta, it's a great show. One of the main characters, Earn. Okay, 2019. No, wait, 2018, we push forward a state process and we get our U.S. Forest Service rod. So different rod than our BLM rod. Uh, we win the federal lawsuit 2019. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Ernie's going and we job. get our Navy record of decision. <laughs> yeah, Ernie's doing great. Like, he's back. He's back. He's back with the game. cool kids. <laughs> FSEC continues. Right around then, we file our FSEC application. Anybody want to guess how big our FSEC, this is the state process application. Any guess? How many Oregon. pages? Than a bread Oregon. Box. Yep. Department of Energy in Oregon. Yep. 10,000. <gasps> no way. Oh, 13. Higher. It was not- close to 20,000 pages. Wow. Just to give you an idea how thorough that process is. Can you help me, though? Did you actually print them out on paper? Or did someone you file sent, I remember when we, when we filed it, someone sent a picture. It was literally a carload of boxes. So it really was paper mm-hmm. copy. Yes, my understanding is we had to do a paper copy. That might have been the, no, I think it was FSEC where we had it and I got a picture of just boxes. Okay, so 2022, we get the permit for Woo-hoo! FSEC. Nice. That's pretty good. But then guess what happens? I bet mean, you got sued. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We got sued. And this goes through the FSEC process. It's contested case hearings, all that. Then it goes to the Oregon Supreme Court. So again, I remember sitting there. If we don't get this, if the Oregon Supreme Court does not agree with us, uh, I'm not, it's, a, it's a lot of money that was spent and a lot of time on this project. We were very fortunate that they upheld the permit. We won the Oregon Supreme Court case in 2023. We are still doing micrositing even now. We have amendments to the FSEC okay. process, so that's still going on. Then guess what we had to do, which, you know, it's part of the process, the CPCN process in state of Idaho, state of Oregon. In Oregon, anybody who wanted to question, ask a question to basically our folks in a contested case type scenario was able to. So it was days of hearings to get through that. And now here we are. 2023, close to breaking ground. Ernie, so Ernie's 18, I guess a couple things, right? He can he's he can vote. Big election coming up. Big election, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he, can he can smoke, I guess. What, what, what kind of kid is Ernie? Is he, <laughs> is he gonna be doing that? If he's in Idaho, he's you definitely gonna us. chew tobacco. Is he, I, I should have researched this. I think he's this. a good is kid. He, is okay. he DC or is he AC? 
He's AC. He's AC. Yeah. Yeah. It's not DC. Um, you sound disappointed. So that's the story. I'm going to be quiet for a little bit and just let that reflect. sink in. You're going to reflect yeah. for a little bit. If you saw some so, tears coming down my eyes. That's... I will know your, your horror stories are all around the permitting. This is all permitting. Your we horse, planned it years ago. You planned it. We're not. We're actually not that concerned about paying for it because, as you know, transmission. The benefits right now of transmission are so significant that proving those benefits out was not the hardest part. Yeah, planning it was not the hardest part. Paying for it, we had partners. We worked through that, and Christine and I talked about this for us for Idaho Power and for Pacific Core and others. It was the permitting process. And that's the problem with what a lot of people talk about, RTOs, other things. They, they help solve some of the pain and planning issues. My concern as someone who just went through this is, are we solving the permitting issue? And how do we begin to do that in an effective yeah. way? Yeah, in some ways, though, if you have a, like a, a, a regional organization that is allocating costs effectively, you do spread the risk around, the permitting risk around. Right. You do pool the permitting risk a little bit more. You have more projects that will have value for the region and you don't have one entity bearing all of that permitting risk and permitting cost for one project. Right. To make or break. Well, and to be fair, you're I think I think that's a good point, but we didn't either. It was us, BPA and Pacific Core. We spread those risks. So we did cost allocation essentially amongst ourselves. Okay. It is tough. I mean, there, there, there are so many different layers to the onion of what you were just talking about. I mean, on the one hand, you have multiple federal agencies kind of doing their thing. And there have been recent efforts. I, I'm afraid I might go the D.C. route for just a minute Please. if it addresses this. Is that sure. OK? I, yeah, I don't sure. want to break the rules in a yeah. place where there are no Okay. Um, In but, a place where there are no rules is a really good point. But, yeah. but DOE has been um, trying to look at existing laws on the books and figuring out how to implement them better to address exactly what you were just talking about. So to have a single authority at the federal government level that everyone has to work through to get something like B2H cited and permitted. So that all the little agencies along the way, you might have one agency, but different offices that go in different directions, makes it really complicated for a developer. So right now there's a Federal Power Act 216H Memorandum of Understanding <laughs> that DOE is trying to work through um, that, that could hopefully help future projects like this um, and provides an internal appeals process. So if the other agencies miss some of the deadlines, then there's an internal appeal process to, you know, the president's designee saying, you know, here's here's what you need to do to, you know, make this project happen if the project's been found to be in the national interest. Right. So that's hopefully one thing that would be helpful. But but to to um, synchronize both the federal and state piece, that's really hard too. Um, there are some different models out there. One of them's in Nevada. They do a really good job. I don't know what you consider a region. Is the region like the Oregon, Washington, don't Idaho Don't worry about region. the rules. Don't worry about the rules. No we rules. don't take our rules seriously. Right. Yeah, no, so, don't worry so about The Nevada example is a great example, I think. Yeah. And it's the WEC region. So yeah. I guess I think about, you know, the WEC region, you know, Order 1000 things about Northern Grid, West Connect, Kaiso, but really there's a lot of value to thinking about the West right. as a region that can work together, the Nevada example. So in Nevada, there's something like 90% federal lands. Almost everything they're trying to cite has a federal land impact. And they have a state law in Nevada that says if something 
is being has to go through an environmental analysis some, by somebody else, the state's going to hitch a ride on that. So where you have um, transmission being cited by BLM or other federal agencies, the state participates in that process. So there's one bite at the apple. You don't have multiple trips to the courthouse. You have one, but yeah. just one. Yeah. And that would have helped us out quite a bit. If we would have just had one process, not the state and federal, that would have been good. I think having one entity is very positive. Although I have to say, in our case, we did have one entity. The BLM essentially ran the show for all these other yeah. uh, agencies. These agencies still had a ton of input. One of the things that was big that I didn't mention, and this is not a knock on the folks that are doing the work because they're busy and working hard, but the staffing was pretty rough. We would throw out deadlines, hey, we want to get this done in six months and the deadline back would be a year. And that was constant. That's not their fault. That's just yeah. by virtue of them not having enough folks. Whatever happens on this permitting front, whether it is one agency, you've got to staff that model because business wants to move fast and for clean energy purposes, we have to move fast. So it's gotta be staffed. The other thing that you could consider that I think would be helpful, it doesn't help permitting, but it helps the costs. It's just an ITC. The bottom line is all of this, the reason this impacts businesses so much, the 17 years is time is money. Yeah. And it's a lot of money. And if you can reduce that money through a tax credit, it's actually a real simple way to make this a little more viable for folks like us. You mentioned the one agency would be helpful, but if if the state process was just parallel instead of sequential, that would have saved you time as well, right? So even if there is a state process, yep. if it was consistent so you could do it in parallel, would that have helped as well? I think it would have helped. I think you have to ask yourself, is it beneficial though? So a lot of the things we go through with NEPA are very important things. They're environmental, they're cultural. On the state side, we do a lot of the same things, just different enough that you just have to do it different. Enough. So are you really getting that added benefit by having the two processes? It'd be great for the federal government and states to get together, agree on what a good process is and go with that process. Gateway West in Idaho, another transmission project we're involved with, did not have the state process and it got done five years ago. Just to give an example, we got permit five years ago. So yes, absolutely having the state process added time. And Gateway West is with entirely within Idaho? It's Wyoming, Idaho. Wyoming, yep. Idaho. And, and okay. no state processes in either of those. And so we didn't have to go, you know, we got all those permits around 2006, 2007. The problem is in B2H, we then had to go on to the state process, which is what caused so much delay. Yeah. Although the federal process was still over a decade. <laughs> I mean, Ernie was walking fine at that point. You know, he's going to grammar school. So a, a decade, if we could get all this less than a decade, we'd feel better. We My dream is five years. Yeah. My dream is five years. years. Yeah, because we'd still be late, right? A decade. We'd we still need, be late. We need, there was a DOE study um, a, like earlier this year about the megawatt miles or gigawatt miles of transmission we need. Do you, you remember this, Christina, and, and the numbers associated with how much transmission we need to enable the green? Anybody remember that? Because it was a study that. We need to double the pace of. Well, yeah, it was 200% right now, right, yeah. of what we're doing now. The big number a lot of people throw out is three times by 2050, three to four times yeah. Princeton and others have thrown. I mean, that's crazy. It's 3% a year for the next 25 years is what this country needs. And you're not going to get to this clean energy future without a period paragraph. It is arguably the most important thing in our business, I think. Um, and it's starting to get attention, which is great. I mean, we're looking at our clean energy goals of 100% decarbonization by 2040. If we're taking B2H timelines, we need to be plan We need to have planned already yep. for those projects. Yeah. And even 10 years, even a decade, 
would make it a very difficult struggle for you all to hit your 2040 goal. And then what happens if you get eight years into it and you- We are absolutely hitting our 2040 goal. I'm not saying you're not. we will get there. We will find the transmission solutions that will deliver on our clean energy targets. I love it. (laughs) That is the optimism and enthusiasm we need. We will achieve our goals. We just may need some help on permitting reform to do it. Uh, But you did mention we need to be planning these transmission lines now, which is a great segue to the next P, which is planning. So, Christina, Americans for Clean Energy Grid evaluated and ranked 10 U.S. regions on the strength of their transmission and planning development efforts in a recent report. The highest regions on this scorecard are California and the Midwest. Yes. uh, Being the Midwest. Midwest. Mid-continent independent system operator, uh, where there are well-documented efforts over the last two years to proactively plan for the future resource mix. They still only got a B. I think they Um, call it the Louisiana Purchase RTO. Yes, that's (laughs) my so, the Louisiana Purchase RTO. Uh, Northern Grid, the the regional transmission planning organization for the Northwest, got a D. Um, And the what's the West Connect, the regional yes. transmission planning organization for the Southwest got a D minus. It's context. We got a D plus. A D plus. I'm really proud of that plus. <laughs> for the record, like what was the exact number of like 67%? 60s are a D, right? So we got most well, of it know, right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, Ernie's part of the Northern Grid, so Ernie's just a D student, it sounds like. Yeah, he's struggling. I mean, a D plus is putting us right at 70. Yeah. Like, right at 70. Right in the right 70. big part, meaty part of the curve. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to show up. We're not giving up on any of the students, though. <laughs> everybody, everybody can use a tutor. Not giving up on anybody. <laughs> I did ask Christina before this started, has it been, uh, it's been a hard couple weeks like with these grades out there? <laughs> I'm sure you get pulled them. aside. No, you do, but I'm sure you get pulled aside a lot and folks maybe not being super happy. But it opens up a great conversation about what we can do to do better. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, you talk about um, planning. Planning isn't one of the challenges. Actually, we view planning as something that is important to get right. So to look at regions um, and planning. And so one of the things that's great about B2H and um, Gateway is that they are joint ventures. So it's uh, optimizing the load and the needs across several utility footprints and how they can be best planned and then built. Um, But that's not happening everywhere. And so um, that's one of the challenges, especially in in the West, and one of the things that we hope can can be done better. And we're seeing a lot of innovative solutions. And so that's one of the things that save save the Northwest in particular. Um, you know, where Pacific Core is across a six state footprint, and they're building transmission across that. You know, it's called local, but it's thirteen hundred miles of local. That's not local by anybody's definition, right? Um, and so some exciting things there. Um, California is looking at interregional planning um, by deciding to pay for transmission lines that go well outside their state, well outside their footprint, but provide that geographic diversity of resources that's going to provide them, you know, cost effective, you know, cost effective, reliable uh, use of different renewable resources that's going to help them going into the future. So there are a lot of um, interesting innovations. It's not all about checking the box and compliance with Order 1000. That really wasn't the intention of the report card. Yeah. It was really to look at you know who's, who's doing it well, who's planning well. Um, 
in the Louisiana Purchase RTO, uh, I was talking <laughs> with uh, uh, someone from their staff and they said, you know, we just decided to break the rules. You know, we decided to look on look at this as a region on a on a regional basis plan, uh, you know, do scenario based planning, you know, across across the entire system. And we're all bought in that what's good for one part of the region is good for everyone. And so everyone's contribute every part of their region is contributing to those solutions. They did it a decade ago and they're doing it again now with LRTP. So it's not a one shot bolt of lightning. It's it's a thing that can be repeated. So what is what were the categories how do you come up with the categories for best like best practices for transmission planning that you scored against because they, they seem to be and, and i think i heard on a rob gramlick podcast on that energy policy one that it was related to the uh, the pending noper and the categories of planning yes. and the best practices associated there can you talk a little bit about like why you use that and why you think they're the right categories to determine the planning criteria Sure, absolutely. Um, well, so first of all, big picture, two thirds of the grade was based on planning and the remaining third was based on um, miles getting built, steel in the ground, okay. um, how it, bringing on new resources is going without getting into the interconnection queue reform battles that are going on right now and congestion. And those tend to be lagging indicators for how well planning has gone in the past. And so it's just kind of another way of looking at but planning, but planning, um, you know, how well are the various factors being considered integrated into planning transmission? How are the various business models being considered? Um, uh, how, you know, how's the, um, the long, um, the long time frame, uh, time horizon being considered? So there are a number of different factors that go into effective planning, um, regional and interregional as well. So, um, Taken together, if planning is going well, we fully expect MISO and CAISO, um, which did quite well in their planning. You know, um, in CAISO, they're considering economic reliability and public policy altogether, for instance. Um, so we expect some of those grades to be going up, going up in the next report card. Nice, nice. And you want to get in on anything, Pam? Sure. So you know, a D plus, not that great. Not a, that great. A, a grade. But I, I think it's important to think about the context for why we created Northern Grid and the situation of transmission in the Northwest when Northern Grid was in its formation stage. And at that time, you know, we had Bonneville supplying unlimited long-term firm point-to-point -point transmission across its system. We were relying and using the excess transmission capacity as the Northwest economy was evolving from a more uh, industrial-based to a more knowledge-based economy. So we had excess capacity here. We didn't need to build a whole lot of new stuff. However, as we have used up a lot of that capacity, we need to build things like B2H, and we need to build a lot more things in order to meet our clean energy targets and our continued load growth. That excess capacity, we have fully subscribed it at this point. And I really appreciate Bonneville's announcement two weeks ago about some of the transmission upgrades yep. that they are going to invest in so that we can meet those um, load growth needs, especially west of the Cascades, where it's particularly difficult to, uh, to bring energy west of the Cascades at this time. So I think Bonneville's new decisions to invest in these uh, transmission expansion projects show a different path to transmission planning that we like to use here in the in the West. And that I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the FERC-NOPER is that 
you know, if that rulemaking gets to a final order, it gives us a new opportunity to reevaluate Northern Grid or other alternatives. What kinds of tools do we want to use in the West to build a transmission that will help us meet our future needs, our load growth, our decarbonization targets, and come together as a region to, again, uniquely meet our, our obligations and our collective opportunities. But I, I think Northern Grid is doing what it was intended to do. And we're ready to look at what the next step would be. Yeah, uh, and I and there will be no Northern Grid shaming on this podcast. We have lots of friends <laughs> in Northern Grid that we are very proud of the work they do and their ana- analytical capability. And I think we're highlighting here the need for the next step, the next walk on the next step on the moon, right? To to get to the next phase of the clean energy transition. I mean, I think the the region has a lo- a long history of opt-in joint projects. B2H is a great example of an opt-in cost allocation project. We have the Eastern Intertie as another example of an opt-in cost allocation project. The uh, interconnections that we have with California, these are all jointly owned transmission projects where the owners of those projects had a joint need that was, was met together. They agreed on what the investment would be, and they leveraged that opt-in opportunity to build some really amazing projects. And I think we're there again. We need to figure out how do we agree to build transmission because we we do have to respect Bonneville's unique statutory obligations where they can't have a mandatory cost. They can't be a participant in an institution that has a mandatory cost allocation component. So we have to think differently. We have to be able to get the value of planning with Bonneville, but that taking that next step is going to require us to honor Bonneville statutory obligations. Well, and, and are we giving ourselves the opportunity to opt in? I, I mean, I think as a utility, if I'm being honest about us and honest about all of us, we could coordinate a little bit better on what that next project is. I think a lot of us are starting to do that. We're seeing the need for that next generation of transmission, but to do it, you know, Idle Power, PGE, you know, uh, Pacific Core, everybody's got to be open about their needs. We have to come together and say, here's our needs, here's some possible options. Who wants in, who wants out? But you got to be transparent. And I think there's been a history sometimes in the Northwest of saying, hey, we have a good idea, so we might want to keep that to ourselves. We just can't do that anymore if we want to meet this future that we're trying to get to. Yeah. I have an image for the next place where you need to do a podcast, not a bar, but one of those break rooms where everything's made of glass or or there's a TV or whatever, and there's a baseball bat and you get to go around and break things. (laughs) Because I absolutely agree with Pam that this should not be focused on Order 1000 compliance. And I say that as somebody who's working at FERC on Order 1000 when it was written. I spent a lot of time apologizing for that and I really don't (laughs) want to because it was meant to be an iterative process. We were not meant to be like pause between steps for a decade. It was not supposed to be like that. And so that's why the report card was not focused on compliance. I agree with you. Northern Grid is doing what Northern Grid meant to do. But checking boxes isn't going to get us where we need to go. Instead, we need to break some of the rules, like MISO said, 
and get to the place that Adam was talking about, where we collaborate on a regional basis to plan these lines so Not that we we're can... forced to. No, but because, because it's we what's want best. to. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I think we'd have a lot more advocates to get through that per- permitting process as well. And Gateway West and B2H do show you can do it. You can get together with partners and build these things. You just have to be open and transparent and be willing to take the risk at the end of the day. I will tell you right now, I get a call about every month asking me from other utilities, can they be a part of B2H? Yeah. The problem is sometimes I, ha- I have to keep myself from saying, where were you 17 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> but, but the truth is like the benefit, the value is there. We just all have to take the step and our regulators have to take the step to say, you guys can take this risk. We're behind you and we will support it at the end of the day, which is what our regulators have done. And it's been very nice to see. It's a good transition. I want to talk about the paying for the third P of of all of this. But I think part of like the hypothesis, right, is that if you have a common planning standard, it becomes easier then to have a common cost allocation methodology, even for the permitting, right? So you, if you have a common planning standard that says, we all agree this is how we think about a transmission, how it's good and when it's good, then we agree to share this permitting risk, you know, and then we agree to share the paying for it, the cost allocation. So when uh, Public Power Underground has a prior episode, if you wanted to check it out, Adam, okay. uh, with Rob Gramlich, <laughs> where he talks about this third P being two thirds of, uh, of what's necessary to get good transmission policy enacted. So I wanna turn to you, Pam, about the paying for What's the role? You're, you're the markets and market services and transmission director for Portland General Electric, all whatever it is. All the things. A potpourri it's a, of it's services. a very long title. It's a great title. It's a great title. <laughs> How's paying for it tie in to transmission? Well, I think one of the points I made earlier was that transmission has a very large sticker price, a very large sticker price, but it also has a very long asset life. And, and so that you are breaking that large upfront cost down over many years, 20 to 50 year asset lives on a lot of transmission assets. And so the volumetric adder to actual rates is very small so that our customers can get an enormous amount of value. The, the lower cost of generation on the other side of that transmission line more than offsets that investment. So transmission is a very good investment for uh, decarbonization, for lowering lowering customer prices. And I I think it is kind of a paradoxical investment because we we focus on that sticker price. We're not looking at that volumetric component or the very long depreciation life of those assets so that we're really only paying it for, for it incrementally with, you know, pennies on the dollar in terms of the actual volumetric rate impact of those assets. Well, the other thing we don't look at is the extreme events and how alleviating congestion during those extreme events in in the span of a week, if you think of the heat dome or some of those major issues, think of the millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that utilities spent during those timeframes and what transmission would have done just to offset the overall costs in these extreme events, which are, they're significant costs. Yeah, that we're all incurring. And one of the values of regional diversity and transmission is giving us access to that diversity. And knock on wood, 
we haven't seen, you know, west-wide heat wave or, or really uh, extreme events that impact the entire west, which means that transmission gives us access to areas that are having more average conditions and the generation surplus that can be imported into those regions that are experiencing the extreme events. And I think we've really come together on with our existing system to get through a lot of the last few years, the heat dome, uh, some of the heat wave in California last year. And it really has been transmission that has allowed us to maintain reliability through those events. But as you know, we see more extreme weather, we need more diversity and more yeah. connectivity. Of course, the contrast is Texas, who did not have that diversity, mm -hmm. did not have that transmission. And you see the impacts are far, far greater. Oh, and yeah. the irony on that one. So you're talking about winter storm Uri. Yeah. So then the next year there was winter storm Elliot and the Southeast yeah. had shortages and Texas had ample power. So the transmission line that never got built, that got <laughs> approved between Texas and Southeast would have helped Texas during one storm and would have helped the Southeast the ne very next year. The thing would have paid for itself. And it's not only help, it's lives. It would have saved lives. I yes. mean, it was so devastating. And to think that in the country we live in, people can lose their lives because of lack of power is unbelievable to me hundreds hundreds yep. of lives yep. yeah yeah we're looking for a grid that's larger than the weather i think is one of the things yes. we need in this energy transmission point. where we have so many weather driven resources expanding that grid so that you can take advantage of that diversity is a really important part right yeah. yes is that what we're looking You've for got all the rob gramlet cliches let's see now the next one is there's no transition without transmission you could really just have a whole like cliche based Absolutely. podcast i think it would go great it would go uh, yes <laughs> and you know what it also it's a great way to remember this stuff, there you right? go <laughs> and make sure you have did he invent the three p's because he I, did okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. i was i use it publicly because i think it's such an easy way for people to kind of understand and simplify the the discussion and i did not know he was the I've been using Act Like It's My Own. I Perfect. probably should give some credit <laughs> where it's due. A toast to Rob. Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I don't right know him well, but You know, the funny thing is, is that a different P applies differently to every project around the country. And so it is one of those things where, you know, B2H is your story. There are yeah. others, you know, stories around the country and everybody has a slightly different problem. It's a great point. You know, I've been focused on permitting, planning, paying, you need all three. I mean, and it's some projects may be good in one area and not so good in the other, but you're not going to have a complete project without them. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more because you mentioned how you're aren't as concerned about the paying for for B2H? Yeah. Um, do you think for the next one and the next one that that will change? Because I do have this theory that part of the real value of the paying for is it becomes like your customer base becomes built in, right? Yep. And as you talk about the need for transmission as an enabling technology, you need to be able to count on being able to share that cost as you prepare for the new loads that aren't there yet. Yeah. So do you think, like I get for Boardman to Hemingway, it's not the most important P, but do you, what do you think about the next one and the next one and the next one, anybody else? Like, and, and maybe I should have said it differently. It's not that it's not important. It's that the value of transmission is so strong and continuing to get stronger as clean energy is used more and more. Yeah. We're trying to move clean energy where we need it, when we need it. And folks have been able to pinpoint values that extended well beyond we ever thought of 
10, 15 years ago, you look at Brattle reports and these other reports that really define, you know, there's 20 different value lines for transmission. It's not that it's not a worry. It's that I strongly believe at least for the next decade and maybe longer, the value is going to be hard to um, go against. It's, it just okay. it, it exists. Okay. And so it's a good, in, knowing that it's a good investment. We're going to have transmission scarcity for the next decade. So we're, we're going to have transmission scarcity for the next benefit. And I know about your transmission system. Ours is congested. I, I mean, it is in two, three years ago, we got to a point where we looked at the transmission system in the West and what we needed and stuff that used to be there consistently was no longer there. So we had to go out into the market and do something we'd never done before, which is buy at a pretty high price tag, a uh, firm transmission that we'd never bought before. Mm. Thank goodness we did. Thank goodness we had someone working in that area that had a lot of experience, saw it going the wrong direction. And now with RAP and others, we're glad we have this firm transmission, yeah. but there is no extra transmission out there to get. It does not exist. It doesn't exist. So the value is going to be there for a while, I think. Yeah, here I'm thinking on the east side of the Cascades, there's probably transmission. It's just us getting on the west side of the, the Cascades. It's a hard part, but maybe it's everywhere. I think for us, it's the delivery to our system that yeah. is the biggest challenge. Yeah. Moving within the system is still we're, we're able to keep up with the investments and the upgrades needed to do the within system. But for us, it's really that getting across the cascade. It's a really a real good challenge. point. I should be clear for us. It's the same. It's moving outside of our borders. It's a real issue. But when you're going to a market, what do you need? You need it outside of your borders. Yeah. The A to B, we call it the A to B inside our transmission system. Not a Same with you. Not that it's not a problem, but we can keep up with it. It's the B to C to these yeah. different markets, whether it's the mid-C or the Palverde market. That's where it becomes an issue. Yeah, you know, it's intra-regional transmission that you need coordinating planning to solve, right? Because it's not just you. No, it's not just us. Well, and also there's so many new loads coming on, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's the changing generation yeah. mix, but also it's, you know, we've been thinking about electric vehicles for some time and more electrification of our buildings, um, AI, you know, and so yeah, what's AI going to do? AI is by gigawatts, massive, massive, massive new load, and it's not clear that we're planning for it. So that's going to be a new, a new significant load on the system that we need to plan for transmission. AI and data centers are going to put electric vehicles, not to shame, but it right now, because electric vehicles you can plan for over time. This is at least our opinion. You get some of these massive loads with AI data centers. It's hundreds, thousands of megawatts all at once. And the Pacific Northwest is getting flooded with this. I think in the next decade, you're going to see data centers increase two to three fold in the United States, maybe more. This isn't an AI podcast, but is it a different type of load than data centers? Because I've heard it's spikier, but I've heard that's also just anecdotal because it's not. It's like single machine you, stuff. I've heard it's a different type of processing that requires more energy. I haven't heard that the load changes dramatically, load but maybe you guys have. I'm not that up on it, but the, the concern I have heard is that this is the kind of load that you want to keep within the United States borders oh, because yeah. you really want to be doing this kind of research elsewhere. Are you are you comfortable with the national security yeah. of you know these kinds of ventures? Yeah. you know, leaving, leaving the country. And let's be honest, it's not going away. I mean, these phones that we have in our pocket, it's only going to be more and more over time. And that's what's going to hit the Pacific Northwest, in my opinion. And that's what's going to cause RA more of an issue than anything. More than even electrification is going to be this uh, movement. Wow, I did not want to end it on AI. That's such a doomer place. <laughs> that is such a doomer place. I did, I didn't prep y'all for this, but I did want to end with 
FERC for a day. So if you were in charge of FERC for a day, what would, what is one policy you would implement if you were like, I am FERC for a day? What's your one policy, Christine, oh, no, I, that you no, would give implement? Give me a minute. I go around to somebody else. I oh, my God. Somebody's got to start. I said this, and I can't even remember what I, what I said. Because we said I said, if I was king for a day, I would do this. And now I'm getting the question on the podcast. I can't even remember what I said. Okay, so I'll go with final rule. The final rule gets issued, the final uh, transmission planning rule. We take, we land that next step on the moon. It is solid. We plan uh, 20 year for the future, look at um, holistic, you know, scenario planning. Um, we land the, la stick the landing on yeah. the uh, transmission planning rule. Yeah. So FERC for a day, you just approve what's there. You like you like this proposed rule the enough. The strongest, firmest version of the final rule, yes. Okay. Okay. Let's Pam, go. FERC for a day. And like your FERC, like you can do what, whatever, I don't know, whatever FERC Queen has authority FERC. to do. I would dream up the perfect solution to interconnection reform and implement it. In a quick fashion. Exactly. Yeah. Because I'm FERC for a day and I would creatively problem solve all of our key reform issues and solve them the next day. Can so I just note that the perfect interconnection Q reform solution involves perfect transmission planning, because that's how you keep upgrade costs low is by having enough headroom on the system by perfect transmission planning. So I'm glad we will run a great FERC together, Pam. We'll run a great <laughs> FERC together. Madam the, Chair. The, the dream chair. team. The FERC the dream team. team. Okay, you're up, Notice Adam. they didn't invite us. <laughs> well, they, they haven't heard our Come ideas yet. Maybe, so can well, we I mean, if you're going to talk about you're planning, now I'm going to have to go to permitting because it's been a little subtle debate. I think I would have FERC be the one-stop shop, but I would have them staff for it and really make sure that the permitting timelines are adhered to and move forward quickly. Oh, we didn't talk about this. Can I join this club? Now? Yeah, absolutely. Can I be the permitting Please guy? Come Thank in you. With us. <laughs> Welcome I'll to hold the your, I'll hold your briefcases. <laughs> we didn't talk about this, but it is a curiosity I don't want to leave with before we do. How much of the permitting is just because of staff constraints? Like, could it be faster if you had more people or is a lot of it just process I problems. think I think well, it's a little bit of both yeah it's a mix of both I hate to answer so generically but it feels like it was anyway. so yeah Generic I'm gonna do it anyway I hate to do it but I'm gonna do it I feel like it was a little bit of staffing and it again I don't really don't want to knock the folks that are working there because they are doing their best a little bit of staffing and then a lot of different interests with a lot of different agencies and then a, a natural concern of um, kind of a litigation concern I mean you got to dot your I's cross your T's I yeah. get that but Every single thing is done to the, that's why we had a 20,000 page application because the ability to sue on this stuff is, is um, it's there. It's there, it happens. So, it happens. But here's the crazy thing. Pipelines are cited totally different than transmission lines, right? So FERC has, I'm, I'm putting the contours around this wonderful new yep. authority you're gonna have yep. as head of FERC, FERC um, right? So um, pipelines, interstate pipelines are cited and permitted exclusively by FERC, right? I mean, then they marshal the other agencies that are involved, but FERC has kind of the one-stop shop. Yep. Whereas transmission lines that go across <laughs> states, even the really big ones, 500 kV, yep. have to go through feds and states and yeah. counties and all these different stops. And so I think part of Adam's new FERC for a day authority yeah. has to involve um, some of these bills that are being considered in Congress, where if you have a high capacity line, 345 KV or up, 
that crosses two states or more, that that goes one-stop shop to FERC, just like natural gas pipelines do. Yeah. Is that something FERC could do? Congress has to do it first. Congress has to do it but first. Then, but then, yeah, having FERC be one-stop shop, they have okay. a lot of practice, they have a lot of staff, they have a lot of experience. It'd be I a, just a don't have solution. a lot of experience on that side of the business. How long do those pipelines, I mean, I know they're underground, so maybe the nimbyism and the, you guys have heard the banana term. They're not underground. They're sometimes all underground. I think it's build absolutely nothing. Absolutely uh, nowhere. Nothing anywhere near anything. Near anything, yeah. (laughs) Does that exist in the gas side as much? I mean, I assume it does, but it's also underground. The visual impacts aren't there. Certainly there's that, but there are also um, a lot of outreach programs. They have a whole open house system that they do. Um, So there's a lot of involvement. There's a huge pre-filing process with stakeholder and landowner engagement. And so it's... We did all that. That's why I'm shaking my head. I'm like, (laughs) we did that for years. Right. Uh, but I hear you. Yes. But it's the idea. It kind of, it and I'm sure we didn't it do it perfectly, uh, but man, we did a lot of work on that front. It's never easy. Nothing's easy. Yeah. Nothing's easy. But thank you for FERC for a day. My FERC for a day thing. Yes. Let's hear it. Universal child care is a transmission asset. There are so many people yeah. and, and the complications of like managing children's schedule around school. Like it is, we have a, we have a problem with child care yeah. in our society. We saw it with Ernie. And I'm like, Universal child care, that's a grid asset. You, rel- right. you relieve a lot of workforce to go solve these problems when they have Staffing, to stop solving. Everything else. Yep. Like, God, I got to run from work to get the kid at three o'clock and I got to get. Where are your kids now? But yeah, They're right here. Yeah. They're at the bar. <laughs> yeah, they're, one's in Ohio and two are at home. Okay. It's, uh, it's fun times in the Dockery household. Thanks Congratulations. Ernie, where's Ernie right now? We're going to see dirt moving on Ernie? Well, oh. I mean, it, by the time it's done, he'll be at the bar here drinking. <laughs> yes, he will. what's going to happen. He's going to order. He's going to go out his 21 run when we finish this thing up. Are we going to bring nice. Ernie back and talk about the horrors of constructing a transmission project? Because Oh, oh please, I hope supply not. Supply chain. But it's I will not say, easy. I, will we, say I have friends that do that kind of it's work. It's not easy. It's not easy. Supply chain. But the other thing that's interesting is the permitting doesn't stop. So every segment of the leg, we still have to individually uh, look at cultural, still get continual permits on these on yeah. these segments. And, it's a, and if you miss one, you know, does the builder have to jump and skip? It's not easy. We have a really good, um, we have some really good folks working on it and we'll get there. Two and a half year process. So Ernie will be 21. It, that's about where we'll be. I think we I'll years buy him a drink. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. You're going to buy a round for Ernie. Buy okay. a round for Ernie. I may steal it from him and drink it myself. <laughs> You'll have this was it. fun. Do you all feel, was this fun for y'all? Yeah, yeah of that course. Yeah, do you great. feel valued and appreciated, Adam? <laughs> I do. Thank you. Good. Do you yeah. see, feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated, <laughs> Christine? Yes. Yeah. Christina? Very nice By job. you, Pam. You know you're a star on this. Always. You are. I mean, Adam's uh, three minutes was exactly what I wanted to know. Yes. yes. All the horror stories. All and the we're going to do it stories. again, right? There's going to be more. I yes. To, I don't, Maybe you can get into you. the 20,000 page application. Maybe that's the oh. next step for you and oh. to see if uh, how that looks. Oh. Nope. No, thank you. You can find episodes of Public Power Underground on Substack, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And you can find merch by searching for Public Power Underground on... That's actually not true anymore. This is an old car. We don't have a Shopify anymore. Um, Yeah, that's too bad. I'll cut that in post or not. Leave it in. Public Power Underground is a co-production of News Data and Seattle City Light. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data to get the podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground 
up its work to watch.